however you want to speak, our heart is open. Lord, make our heart like a, a soil, God, that is just rich and ready to receive your word. I ask a blessing, God, on every giver, every gift, Father, that it would truly multiply as your word promises in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Well, amen. As you're receiving um, offering, I want to invite up Pastor Mark and Drayson. Get, put your hands together for my friend, Pastor Mark. This is, uh, how many of you guys know Damien McCrink, my brother-in-law? I know he kind of looks like a twin from a distance, but uh, that's how I got connected uh, to Pastor Mark. And I just love, Mark, I love your heart. I love your heart for missions. And I love the way your brain works, too. Very strategic and awesome. So, yes, we welcome you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Pastor Jordan. Good morning, everyone. Hey, how's my hair? My hair look all right? I got up extra early, did my hair just for you guys. I'm excited to be here this morning, uh, looking forward to sharing this message. And then for those staying for lunch and the workshop this afternoon, it is a long workshop, uh, but it will give you some practical handles and a framework for uh, being an ambassador for Christ. I want to first introduce a little bit more about myself and our ministry. Um, you know, my name is Mark. There's a fun photo of my wife, Kim, and our son, Jonathan. Uh, we might be back out this way uh, in the summer, and I hope they'll come with me on my next trip. I have a number of friends in this part of the state, and so um, Kim and I have been married going on 23 years. Jonathan is 11, absolutely loves video games. Lord, help us. Um, and uh, I wish they were here with me today, but they, I, they would greet you if they were here. Um, we lead a ministry called the Institute for Youth Studies, IYS, Institute for Youth Studies. And our passion is to see the two billion youth on the planet come to experience the eternal hope of Jesus Christ. There are about two billion young people on this planet, kids, youth, young adults that do not know Jesus Christ and do not have eternal hope. And that has propelled us to launch a ministry. And the ministry of IYS exists to encourage, equip, and empower global youth ministers. I was in uh, the Assemblies of God uh, seminary or school in the northern mountains of the Philippines about nine and a half, ten years ago. And I was training youth leaders from about 20 nations throughout Asia uh, while I was there in the Philippines. And I was praying and seeking the Lord. It was an hours-long prayer service, not a five or 10 minute prayer service. And the Lord gave me a vision. It was an epiphany. Uh, in front of my eyes were the words, encourage, equip, and empower global youth ministers and what that would look like. And for nine and a half, almost 10 years, I've been chasing that vision down. Now we encourage, equip, and empower a little bit different. Many organizations or parachurch ministries that come alongside and help the local church uh, they provide products and programs, various resources, but God has put on our heart to do something a bit different. And so we connect youth ministry influencers uh, to collaborate for sustainable creation of contextualized or relevant resources, uh, which then contribute to the local church's ministry to and through youth. So what does that look like? Typically, I don't work with a local pastor a uh, youth pastor that has 10 or 20 or 30 teenagers in their youth group. I usually work with national, multinational level leaders that oversee 100, 1,000, or 5,000 churches. 
And God has positioned these men and women to influence denominations, social movements, alliances, and they often are lonely and they need help. They want advice and counsel. They need uh, to figure out how to impact their nations. And oftentimes they are lonely and they need a confidant. They need a mentor. They need someone to come alongside them. And so we do that, working at that high level, impacting the nations. And I bring the tools and the talents that God has given me, and I apply them accordingly. Last year, what does that look like? Uh, we engaged and really encouraged, equipped, and empowered um, youth ministry influencers in 42 nations. Uh, sorry, 42 youth ministry influencers in 23 nations. Uh, 42 and 23 nations. Let me, let me explain a little bit of what that looks like so you know how to pray when you think of us in our ministry. Uh, we do have our brochure in the lobby. We have our prayer card in the lobby. Uh, my haircut is, um, my new haircut's in the photo on our prayer card. So grab our prayer card, learn about our ministry. But So you know how to pray. I want to tell you a little bit of what we do. Just last month, we had national youth directors from denominations, groups of churches here in America. We had them gather together uh, in a collective and for 48 hours, we had prayer and fellowship, and we strategized about staffing challenges. Uh, youth leader pipeline, we called it. Why, why aren't people going into youth ministry? How come they are um, burning out and transitioning out of youth ministry often and never going back into student ministry? And there are churches across our nation uh, that need men and women, whether they're 25 or 65, to invest in the lives of young people. And so we spent a couple days praying and strategizing. Just the men in that picture represent about 6,000 churches in America. And so having them together and talk about um, spirit-led solutions that can impact their churches across the U.S., uh, that's what we do. Here's another example of what we do in the area of consultancy. Here's a picture of Joe. Uh, Joe is from Kenya and recently he was in the U.S. In fact, uh, he was at my home office and we got got to um, pull out the whiteboard and do a lot of strategy looking at his ministry. Joe leads a social movement, um, so not, not per se an organization, but groups of organizations and people that decide to work together to advance the glory of God. Uh, they're in 33 countries in Africa. Last year, they had over a quarter million youth in their programs, a quarter million youth in their programs. To give you an example, the type of stuff they're doing is they recognized uh, people need food in the various villages in the countries they live in, and young people went out and began starting gardens. Uh, they developed gardens and grew food, and then in those gardens, they decided to have churches, and so now they have garden fellowships, and in the last year or two, I think they launched 300 garden fellowships churches around gardens. Um, they are sending out young people into restricted access countries uh, where it's very hard for the gospel to be heard. And so these African teenagers and young adults are going out and they're sharing the gospel. And Joe says, man, this thing is growing and it's huge and I need to organize it and I need to think through it and we need to be intentional about what the Holy Spirit's doing. And so we work with leaders like Joe. You, you might not be able to see it, but he brought me a plaque from my office. It says, Akuna Matata. Akuna Matata. You remember that from The Lion King? Um, Sorry. 
I'm excited to have that in my office. So it means no worries or no problems. Here's another example and, um, of a client that we work with. So we have a variety of clients that have vision, they have dreams, the Holy Spirit's putting something on their heart, but they need help making it happen. And so this is a picture of David in Zambia. Zambia is a smaller country in the southern part of Africa. And uh, David um, has a national ministry where he shares the gospel, and then he mobilizes young people to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And as he began doing that, he realized that a significant problem in these rural villages where girls did not have sanitary pads. And so oftentimes a 12 or 13 or 14-year-old girl, when she would have her monthly cycle, uh, she would miss school because she couldn't afford a pad. And so three or four, five days of her cycle, she would miss school and fall behind. And over time, the more that happens, she falls behind and then she drops out. And guess what 11 or 12-year-old girl does when she is a school dropout? She becomes pregnant, many times not of her own choosing. And then 15, 16, 17 years of age, she's probably having two, three, four children. So now she has several mouths to feed. She has no uh, life skills, uh, no job skills minimal education, and a cycle of hopelessness continues. In addition to that, because she doesn't have proper hygiene, uh, she'll use um, cloth and material that is unhygienic, and so urinary tract infections are very high, cervical cancer is high in Zambia, and so David said, you know what, we want to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this ugly situation, to this hopelessness. We want to bring immediate, lasting, and eternal hope. And so immediate hope is what we call hope packs. There's an example, hope pack, on my table in the lobby. A hope pack is a little satchel filled with soap, a washcloth, lotion, panties, and a cloth reusable sanitary pads. I have some here, by the way. I have some on my table. I'm a 47-year-old man, and I know a lot about menstrual health and hygiene. Why? Because my client needs to know. So we've done a lot of research. We've sourced goods. We've helped them figure out how to make the pads. By God's grace and generous donors, we were able to send money over last month. They bought two industrial sewing machines. That was a picture of David that you saw. And I will be going over in two and a half, three weeks. I'll be flying over there with suitcases loaded of supplies and various materials. And then I will work with David on how to improve this new initiative and give that immediate hope to girls. But also lasting hope, life skills, job skills, uh, empowerment skills, and then the greatest hope, the eternal hope of salvation found through Jesus Christ. And so we're also looking at how do we make this program holistic. Uh, this is a school assembly that they had. The schools are wide open, said, please come. In fact, this particular photo was taken at a school in the second largest city in the country. And the school administrator said, you're an answer to our prayer. We have the highest teenage pregnancy rate in the entire city in this area. You're an answer to our prayer. There were about 85 or 86 students that heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 53 of them trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and for eternal life. Amen. And 68 girls received menstrual hygiene training and sanitary pads. 68 girls received dignity that day, and they received hope so they can stay in school. We estimate a whole pack is about 12 U.S. dollars. 12 U.S. dollars and can keep a girl in school for a year and restore her dignity and give her purpose. And along with that, she hears the good news of Jesus Christ. You can pray for me as I head to Africa and work with this client. Uh, our ministry depends on prayer uh, partners, financial and volunteer partners, uh, 
and also people passing it on, sharing what we're doing. You can go to our website to sign up for our newsletter. You can grab our prayer card. You can talk to me after service today. But this is what we do. Our passion really is to see youth know Jesus Christ and make him known. Uh, I love the gospel. I love sharing the good news. Uh, but I tend to stay in the arena of youth. I'm excited to talk to you today. I want to share a message called Begging for Beauty. You know, David and his team noticed something ugly. He noticed hopelessness. And he, he wanted to bring something beautiful to that situation. I believe all around us are people begging for beauty. They're begging and longing for something better. In fact, someone that's better and more beautiful. Acts chapter 3 in Scripture tells a beautiful story of two early Christians, Peter and John. And as was their custom as Hebrew men, they would go to the temple and they would worship. And the story um, recounts that they encountered a man who was begging. And that man was begging near a gate. It was a very ornate and beautiful gate. And so there was irony. There's this beautiful, gorgeous gate, and then there's this very ugly, unsightly, crippled man. And I really think it's a beautiful picture of the church. It's an appropriate picture of the church. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, um, we, know, we know someone beautiful. We have a message that's beautiful, but we have a world that's broken and hurt and dealing with pain and hopelessness. We're going to learn about how we can respond to a world begging for beauty. Is that okay? I'm going to give you some simple principles here, share some fun stories from my own life, and then we'll pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us apply it to our lives, okay? We're going to look at Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read the text to you today, and then um, we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and hearts. Uh, Acts chapter 3, it's a good portion it's of the text. It's not the entirety of it, but it is a beautiful historical account, and I hope that it touches your heart today. Let's go ahead and look at uh, verse 1. It says this, one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going in to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of, in the authority of, in the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and, what does it say? Praising God. Verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder, awe, even fear and amazement at what had happened to him. 
while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had, we had anything to do with it? As if we were able to make this man walk. Let's jump to verse 16. Then Peter telling the crowd, he says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see, as you can all see. Repent, literally change your mind. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed you, even Jesus. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful story. I want to excavate this text just a little bit and point some things out that I think will encourage you. I'm speaking today to brothers and sisters in faith, Christians. However, I realize there may be someone here that has yet to trust in Jesus Christ. You have not repented. You have not changed your thinking. But I believe today the Holy Spirit can ignite, can ignite, can turn on faith in you and that you will be born again. My prayer is if that is you in this room, that you would be open and sensitive. For all of us, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful historical account of two early Christians who saw an ugly situation. They saw a man begging for something better, something beautiful, and they responded with the good news. I pray, Lord, in the moment we, moments we have together that your Holy Spirit would allow our minds and our hearts to capture what you have to say. And Lord, that by your Spirit, you would propel us with our hands and feet and our words to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. When it comes to bringing or sharing something beautiful with our world, which is very broken today. The first thing we should do is listen and learn to see others like Christ. Listen and learn to see others like Christ. Now, have you ever caught yourself staring at someone? Have you ever caught yourself gawking, staring at someone? Several years ago, I was heading into a Walmart, and I was right in front of the store where that crosswalk is, and they have the stripes there, and cars are supposed to stop and let the pedestrians cross. And I was, as I was heading into Walmart, this gentleman was exiting the store. And suddenly, my eyes caught him. Now, I'm going to tell you, this was crazy. This guy had the largest nose I've ever seen in my entire life. It was ginormous. I mean, do you guys remember Snuffleupagus from Sesame Street or Pinocchio? I mean, this thing was huge. And right there in that crosswalk section, it was like time just stood still. No, 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 no. And I just fixated on his nose. I mean... I'm a Scandinavian. We're known for big noses. But, I, I mean, this guy's no, I just, oh, what, what happened? 
And I just, I, I, I probably, I, I don't know, I'm shocked I didn't get hit by a car. I thought it was five minutes. I was just staring at this guy's nose. And I began thinking things like, what kind of wind is displaced when he blows his nose? How much tissue does he use? I, I just, what was his childhood like? And I'm kidding you not. I, honest to God, as I was gawking at this man's nose, out of the clear blue sky, this itty-bitty cloud dropped, a raindrop, and it fell and hit me right on my nose and woke me from my trance. I mean, oh, oh, okay. And then I immediately thought, who am I to stare at this guy? I've got my own issues, and I walked in the store and went shopping. It was crazy. Never happened to me before. This is a little bit of what happened with Peter and John. Let's look at our text really quick. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Now, we miss it in the English, but the original language is quite clear. Actually, what happened is Peter and John fixated on that man. Something happened that day, and they began staring at that man. Now, if you notice the text, Peter and John, day in and day out, went to the temple to worship. This was their routine. And so it's highly likely that every day they saw that same man whose friends brought him there and laid him next to the gate called Beautiful so that he could beg and receive food and coin. And likely every day Peter and John saw him. But that particular day, I believe the Spirit of God prompted them to stop and look at that man. What would happen if you and I allowed the Holy Spirit to capture our attention so that we began to see people differently? So instead of passing by them or flipping through our feed on our social media, that we just took a moment to listen and learn to the Spirit of God and even listen and learn to those people and begin to see them with eyes of compassion like Jesus sees them. My question for you today is, are you seeing others as Christ sees them? Are you listening to them? Are you learning from them? Are you listening and learning from the voice of God so that you can begin to see people differently? The scripture that motivates me in this area is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It's not on the screen, but it says this, Therefore, since we, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, it's essentially the same word here, locking our eyes in on Jesus, our full focus on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter or the author and finisher of our faith. I believe when we focus on Jesus, we begin to see others differently. How do you focus on Jesus? How do you fixate on him? We spend time reading his word, reading and listening to scripture. You spend time praying, listening and learning to the voice of God. You spend time worshiping and singing song to him. You just spend time being still and quiet. Maybe that's in the shower, on your commute to work, or if you're working from home nowadays. Maybe it's spending a few extra minutes in the kitchen at breakfast time, just listening to the voice of God. As we focus our eyes on Christ, as we listen and learn to the Spirit, he will help us see others as Christ sees them. I want to encourage you today to begin to pray that God would help you see others the way he sees them. This would 
be true of seeing unbelievers and people that are hurting and need eternal hope, but this would be true of anyone and everyone. If you have disdain or hate or ugliness in your heart toward your spouse, toward your coworker, toward your boss, let me challenge you to listen and learn to the Spirit of God so that you can begin to see others with compassion and mercy just like Jesus would. Day in and day out, Peter and John saw that man, but that day, something changed. The second thing we can do to respond to a world begging, longing for something, someone more beautiful, is that we can love like Christ. We can love like Christ. Have you ever felt, have you ever felt completely powerless to help someone? You knew they had an issue, there's a problem, maybe it's an emotional issue, a relational issue, a health issue, maybe it's their finances, and, and, and you want to help, but you just don't know how to help, or you're concerned that if you do try to help, that it might backfire, or it might create this vortex where now they're dependent upon you. I've had that happen. Several years ago, um, and maybe one of the reasons why this text of Scripture speaks to me so clearly, is Kim and I were living in China, and while we were serving there in China, we would, on occasion, go to the government-registered church. And so we would take a taxi from our apartment. That taxi would stop in, an, uh, in front of an alleyway. And we'd walk down this alleyway, and there would be the entrance to this church. And every time we would go, as we would enter, walk down that alley and enter the church or exit the church, a group of homeless people and beggars and lame people, crippleds, people in wheelchairs, people with crutches, people with missing limbs. It was a modern-day Acts chapter 3. It was an ugly, unsightful situation as we entered the church. And I felt overwhelmed. I thought, I don't know how to respond to this. I, I knew that if I gave one of them some money, the others would be angry. They'd be upset. There'd be a ruckus over that. And so uh, Sunday after Sunday that we would visit this church and I would see them line up or after worshiping Jesus, we'd leave the church and we, they're there. There's only one door. We can't escape them. They're lined up. And, you know, they're looking at me. I'm the foreigner. I, clearly I have money. I have a resource. And they expect me, of all people, to help them. And I just felt completely hopeless. But, you know, I began praying about that. I said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do here. Show me how to care for them. And you know, one Sunday, the taxi stopped, and we got out, and we started to walk down that road, but I noticed there was a fruit stand, a vendor selling fruit. Sounds like an oxymoron, but there in China, that guy was selling mandarin oranges. And I just said, that's it. I bought a whole bunch of mandarin oranges because they're super cheap. And then Kim and I walked down the gauntlet. We walked down that, aisle, that alleyway, and we were able to give two or three oranges to each beggar and tell each and every one of them that Jesus loves them. We told them that in Chinese. And suddenly something shifted. I went from feeling very helpless to being filled with hope. I believe when we lean on God and we seek the Spirit, God will reveal to us the appropriate way to care for others. Amen? Look at our text ever so quickly, verse 6. Peter said this. He said, silver or gold I do not have, which is a great line when your friends are hitting you up for money. Silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
The man wanted food, he wanted coin, and that's why he gave them his attention. But what he really needed is salvation and healing. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. But for those of us who are in Christ, who are born again, who have trusted in Jesus and are walking by faith, not by sight, we've been given the transformative power of grace. For about three months now, I've been marinating on Ephesians 3, verse 2. It's a very obscure verse in the English. It says, Paul, talking to the believers in this area known as Ephesus, modern-day Greece, he sends this letter to them, and he says there, chapter 3, verse 2, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of grace given to me for you. This is a mini-sermon inside of a sermon. What Paul was saying is, Grace, this gift of love and mercy, which is extended toward us. You can't grasp it. You can't get it. God extends and gives grace. Grace is from God. And it's given. The word in the original text is it's placed in our hand, in the pit of our soul. It's so clearly given to us. And Paul knew he was to steward or guard or handle it. It's like a quarterback that receives the snap. you got to hold that ball and then pass it. And that's what Paul was saying. Grace has been given to me, and I'm going to hold it well. I'm going to guard it well. I'm not going to fumble it. And it's going to transform me so that I can forward it to you. As followers of Jesus Christ, every day, every hour, every minute, every second of your existence, the Spirit of God is pouring grace into your life. His love, His mercy, His compassion, His truth, His justice, His joy. It's flowing into our lives. We receive it, and God wants us to forward it to others. And so if you're having a hard time loving someone, if you don't know how to care for them, go to the source. God, how do you want me to forgive that person? Heavenly Father, how do I reconcile with them? Lord, how do I meet that very real need he or she has in their life? God, give me grace. Show me how to forward your love to that person. Begin to pray. And God will show you how to love, how to care like Christ. Let's look at that third point. I'm a pretty old school guy, so it's a three-point sermon. We listen and learn. We love like Christ. And the third thing we can do to world begging for something more beautiful is lead others to Christ. Lead others to Christ. Have you ever forgotten to connect your good words to the good news? I love when Christians do good things, but there are a lot of other people who do good things too. Hindus do good things. Muslims do good things. Atheists do good things. But our good works need to be connected to the grace, the gospel that salvation and eternal life is found through Jesus Christ alone. I remember years ago, we took a group of students to Toronto, Canada for a missions trip. And part of what we did during that trip is we did something called a sandwich run. And so the students made PB&J sandwiches, ham sandwiches, and um, got other snacks and goodies and water bottles and, and put together brown paper sack lunches. And then we piled into these 15-passenger vans, and we drove around the heart of Toronto looking for homeless people. And when we'd find homeless people, we'd stop the van, we'd slide that door open, two or three students would jump out, an adult leader would jump out, and they'd run over to them, and they'd, here you go. And then they'd run back to the car, close the door, 
We'd gun it and drive looking around. It was, it was like a hit and run. It was really weird. And I noticed the students were super excited because they're like, oh, there's one. Let's get them. The door would open. They'd jump out. They'd have their sack lunch, and they'd go over. And, I, and after a while, I just thought, this is entirely weird. We're feeding their stomachs, but their soul is starving. So I said, students, just slow down here a minute. What's most important? Yes, we're going to feed their bellies, but they need the eternal hope of Jesus Christ. Let's just slow down a little bit. Let's listen and learn from them. Find out their stories. And then let's begin to share the greatest story of eternal hope found in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do the same. Look what happened in our story today. We're going to go to verse 11. It's on the screen. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. That's a part of the temple court there. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? If by our own power of godliness, we had made this man walk. Listen, when you do kind things, people are going to look to you. Don't, take, don't, don't soak that praise in. That's not for you. Direct and, and guide people to see Jesus. He says this, verse 16, by faith, by trust, by belief in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know is made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. Repent. Change your mind. The word there is literally used of a general who calls an audible in the midst of battle because he says, hey, uh, the enemy is flanking us. We have to stop and go this direction. Each and every one of us has, has an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm walking the wrong way. I want to go God's way. And that's what Peter did. And he said, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah. Really, um, good works and good words, the gospel, they're two wings of the same airplane. We should love like Christ, but we should also lead people to Jesus Christ. In our workshop today, this afternoon, if you come, we're going to dig into this a little bit more. I want to remind you of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in an area known as Corinth. Again, also in modern-day Greece. He said this in verse 17. It's not on your screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled or reconnected or restored us to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Literally, the actions, the service of reconciliation. That God was reconciling or reconnecting the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, what we say. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, we beg you, we really urge you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, be reconnected and restored to God. What we say and what we do should lead others to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just a few things I've mentioned today by way of this text. As we walk by faith, not by sight, as we listen to the Spirit, He will help us see others like Christ. As we listen and learn to the Spirit, He'll help us see others like Christ.
the Holy Spirit will help us love others like Christ. He'll show you how to do it. And the Holy Spirit will help us lead them to Christ by sharing the message of eternal hope found in Jesus Christ. We're going to conclude our time in prayer. But I want to ensure that you know that good news. The good news is that God created us to be with him. That's the good news. The good news is that God created us to be with him. I was at a very large church some weeks back, and I heard a minister, a very influential minister, say, the good news starts with bad news. We're all sinners, damned to hell. Well, you forgot Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The good news is that God created us to be with him. He created us to be with him in healthy, whole relationship with him and with one another. Our world was created with peace and harmony. That's the good news. But the reality of it is our sins separate us from God, just like they do with one another. Someone lies, steals, cheats against you. You don't want to talk with him or her. It separates us from him or her. The same thing is true with our relationship with God. When we sin, our sin pushes away from God. God is always there, but our sins remove us from his presence. And sins can't be erased. It can't be removed by good deeds. It can't be hidden under the rug. But Jesus came and he paid the price for our sins. He paid the price. He paid the penalty. Because every crime deserves time. Every crime deserves a consequence. And Jesus paid that penalty on the cross of Calvary. And everyone, everyone, even our worst enemy, even the people that we hate the most, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And that life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It's not easy now, is it? That narrow road of faith mentioned in Matthew chapter 7, it's a narrow, difficult road of faith. But we have hope each and every day that we walk with Jesus. And as we walk that path of faith, he wants us to begin to see others. He wants us to begin to care for others. And he wants us to begin to share the good news and what we say and do. Now, I realize as we pray, you might be like the beggar outside of that gate. Either spiritually, you have no hope, or maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're going through a real difficult time today. And you feel like people are passing you by. God, how come you're not catching my prayer? God, where are you at? I've got some ugly stuff going on in my heart, in my life, in my finances, in my marriage. God, I need something today. I want to assure you that God sees you. God is listening to you. God knows you. And he is working all things for good. And his spirit is with you, counseling and comforting you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this message. We thank you uh, for this historical account. Two men who, had, who neither had silver or gold. They really didn't have much. But what they had was the eternal hope of Jesus Christ. What they had was grace ever flowing. What they had is the power of your spirit. And God, in that moment, in that moment as they listened and learned to you, Listen and learned. Your spirit led them to see that man differently. May that happen in our world today. And God, those two men, they cared like Jesus would have cared. 
they loved like Jesus would have loved. May that be true of us today. Maybe it's going to start by us holding our tongue or not texting something or posting something that we know is not of Christ. But maybe it's going to be stepping out and caring for that person that's, that we've been passing by at the store. I don't know. But God, help us to love like Christ. And Lord, help us by your spirit to lead them to Christ, to have a boldness, to, to move forward as ambassadors and declare that it's not about what we say or do, but it's about what Jesus did on the cross. And he rose again and he defeated death and he can defeat any death, any sickness, any shame, any ugly situation in our life. He is beautiful. And Lord, to a world begging and longing for something better, I pray that we bring the good news, the beautiful news of hope found in Jesus Christ. And for my friends today that maybe are struggling in, a, in their own way, Lord, would you reassure them that you see them and that you're working all things for good. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank Pastor Mark? Can you put your hands together? Again, we have a, a training where we're going to take this to the next level and say, okay, who are our coworkers and our neighbors, and how can we actually lead them to know Jesus Christ? Um, one of the things that you know that I believe I share here often is that I do believe God has started a revival in this area, and that we're going to see this entire region come to know Jesus Christ. Who, who would say that's possible, right? But what I believe, a big part of that, if we look at Scripture, right, is the empowerment, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, right? Because I don't live where you live. I don't live on Mayburn Barkley. I don't live on the street you live on, or the street you live on, the street that you live on. And Jesus has called you to be a light there. So Pastor Mark has a, a gift uh, in being able to communicate this, and I'm just excited personally to learn uh, today, uh, Mark. So feel free to join us. Again, we're waiting till 12 because some people from Warren and Cortland are going to come down because it's a multi-campus event. We will be in the cafe right here eating lunch at 12. If you registered, come join us for lunch. If you did not register, don't eat my food in the name of Jesus. It's my weakness. No. Um, go, go grab lunch and then uh, come back. But again, even if you didn't register, feel free to, to come back because I'd love to see as many of us trained as possible. I just want to bless you. Can you stand up to your feet?